Support for this podcast comes from JCPenney. This holiday, our in-person gatherings may be a bit more intimate, and our virtual ones bigger than ever. But no matter how traditions change, what's most important is celebrating special moments with the people who matter most. JCPenney has all the best gifts all in one place, making it easy to send your warmest season's greetings to loved ones near and far. Looking for the perfect gifts for everyone on your list? We'll be back soon with some of our top gift picks. Joy, comfort, peace. JCPenney. Fantastic show for you today. Thank you to all of you who are able to check out the virtual Head Talks show, the first ever one. Right before Bicycle Day, had Rick Doblin, Maps, uh, my very good friend Cole Marto, who's been on the show a couple times in the past, and you may have uh, recognized from my documentary Psychonautics, as well as my Head Talks touring partner, Sophia Rockland, author of One Plant's Dream. We had a fantastic turnout. We had nearly 500 people register, and we had nearly 400 people watching live, commenting on the side, talking with one another, making jokes, having fun, asking questions, getting to be involved. It was a really special experience. And so we're going to do more of them. One, if you didn't get a chance to see it, the replay is available on my Patreon, patreon.com slash Shane Moss. And we have a new one coming up May 2nd. The first one was comparing this pandemic to a psychedelic experience and understanding what harm reduction um, practices can be used to help guide people through just your run-of-the-mill difficult days and uh, and anxieties and and uh, and m- mental breaks as things get crazy out there and the next one is going to be about um, uh, we're gonna be talking a little kind of psychedelic history and policy stuff have a great psychedelic historian on as well as um, someone who does a ton of work in policy. Um, and uh, two Canadians, actually. Erica Dick, who was on the Psychonautics documentary, and um, a, a new a new gem, Susan um, Chapel, who is a politician, now doing a lot of psychedelic advocacy, starting her own psychedelic business, doing microdosing stuff and things like that in Canada. Um, and Sophia will be joining me again. It's going to be a real good time. Man, it's, you know, rather than just passively watching something, everyone gets to be involved. You're commenting with one another. If you saw the, uh, you can go onto the Crowdcast platform and follow me there, and you can see all the comments people were making and getting to interact with one another. And what a cool way to get to bring together my favorite thing about head talks is getting to bring people together and from town to town to get to meet one another and now we're able to do that virtually as well and you're able to meet um psychonauts all around the world and so uh and and uh and other like-minded people so really cool experience hoping to do the same thing with this podcast too in the future and put together special events um, with uh, with several different scientists in all sorts of different fields and kind of make it a virtual stand-up science show. So working toward that, um, one way that you can 
catch a bunch of those, support me, and save some money is if you are a Patreon supporter of $5 or more, you get access to all of these. I'm charging $7 a piece um, for them individually, but you can get access to all of them for uh, for fi- being a $5 Patreon supporter. So check that out if you want. I'm, I'm trying to get more content on there as well. You may have seen me on social media blasting out so much content all of the time. I'm just trying to figure out what to do with it and get more organized and, and how exactly uh, to get it in front of more eyeballs and make it worthwhile for everyone involved. So as we're all um, consuming new forms of content and having uh, time to uh, uh, think about the future and reassess our our lives and incredible opportunity for learning. Please support my my partners, the Great Courses Plus. I recommend checking out the brand new course, Language in the Mind, and it's it shows fascinating models of how the mind has shifted through the ages, from dualism to reductionism, and illustrating our changing understanding of language. We have some episodes kind of talking about language coming up too, that that this this will be um, uh, a really nice prep for some of those. And it, it gives kind of examples of insights into how the 3D framework help explain the interconnection between genes, brains, bodies, and the environment. Super cool stuff. Go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash here we are to support yourself, me, and all of these amazing academics with these incredible courses, or just go there and check out um, if if that course doesn't sound uh, appealing to you, check out some other courses, watch a preview, that's how I decide what to watch, check out a preview, see what what professors that you like, and, and go from there. And with the unlimited um, subscription with the free trial, uh, you can you can take as many courses as you want when you're up for whatever subject you're exploring. So check that out, thegreatcoursesplus.com slash here we are today. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. I'm comedian Shane Moss, and joining me today is Gary Steinberg. Gary, could you introduce yourself to everybody? Sure thing. Yeah, I'm uh, Gary Steinberg. I'm an associate professor of social psychology at the University of Tennessee. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much me. All right. What's, uh, what's the, the main um, uh, interest of yours? What's your research? Right. So what I study, um, I call collective attention. So uh, the reason why I say I call collective attention is because I actually pretty much made it up as as the topic of my research um so so i get the i get the naming rights so what collective attention is is basically a belief that you're co-attending to something with someone else right or or many somebody else's at the same time 
and we can get into the you know exactly that involves and doesn't involve further but but that's sort of in a nutshell what it is hmm all right well like yeah explain a little more for me yeah okay what, okay what is this collective well, attention because because right. you're going to have to be real clear with any if you're right. trying to come up with a new word because other, look what happened to poor meme um you know this uh-huh. beautiful elegant idea of a meme <laughs> that that right. now got turned into right. silly cat pictures on the, on the right. on the internet right so, so you better right. spell it out for people right. Right, right. Well, well, yeah. So attention is basically the sense that we are attending to something, right? And, and this occurs every day, many instances a day in our modern lives, both, both when you're physically present with co-attending others, but also when you're virtually with co-attending others. So you could be going through your world and you could see uh, a bird, on a branch and you say to yourself, ah, I see a bird on the branch, right? So that is not an instance of collective attention. Or you could be going about your day with a friend, an acquaintance, someone to whom you feel a minimal connection with, right? Uh, Someone with whom you could potentially have a collective agency with. What do I mean by collective agency? When you think of yourselves as a we versus an I and a you, right? just like the title of your podcast, right? Here yeah. we are, right? right? So so to the extent that you're able to do that and you're fairly that you're looking at the same thing, you tell yourself, we are looking at the bird. And what study are the consequences of that kind of belief, how you remember things about the world, um, your emotions about that thing, how well you learn and enact behavior, there's a whole reason of why this is important that I can go into, you know, the yeah. theory of it. Yeah. But I'm just trying to de- destri- describe the, the concept itself for now. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, why, do, why don't you talk about what, what, uh, why this is important? Right. Okay, well, so before I get to that, really quickly, I'll, I'll tell you this. Um, in the lab, the way we study this yeah. is we, we put people into situations where in the key condition, right, where we want to, sort of prime this sense of collective attention. What we do is we have uh, a person believe that somebody who is minimally close to them is there. They're a stranger, but perhaps they have some sort of a similarity in preference or motivation, just close enough to where a a we can arise, right? And there's a second condition that's crucial, and that condition is that they're co-attending synchronously with the person. So it's not that a minimally close other is with you there but they're also at the same exact time presumably watching something with you now this could be a physical other that you can see right and you can see that they're watching with you or we can convince you that there's a virtual other right Mm. through an avatar or or something like that Mm. right even now you're you're in a sense you're a physical slash virtual other i mean i I can't very convincing version Right. Uh, I can't be uh, totally okay. sure. This right, is uh, right. the the technology that they put together this avatar and and everything. <laughs> I'm I'm actually uh um a 90-year-old Japanese woman 
Um, right. But, but the, they were able to the, <laughs> just just through the free Zoom program, they were they were able to change my voice, my face, everything. Pretty incredible. Well, you're you're tricking my mind into, into <laughs> so it's 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 working. But so so yeah, these two conditions co-attending synchronously with a minimal other, a close other. Now you can you know if you take away one of these things, then you then the, the magic is sort of dispelled. So you could have just a pure stranger and you can't really connect. Or a similarly close other could be there, but you're slightly after them, right? Maybe like 10, 15 seconds after the fact. And it doesn't have the same effect, right? Mm -hmm. So it's really the confluence of these two characteristic, uh, characteristics, excuse me, closeness and synchronicity in, in co-attention that you get that feeling we are attending to something. Presumably, mm. that's the idea. That's the idea, right? Mm. Um, uh, so why is this important? Uh, well, first, let me tell you, uh, you know, what we find in the lab is that when you're synchronously co-attending, right, presumably in a state of, of collective attention, people have uh, better memories for the content. People have more intense emotions for emotional stimuli, emotional objects. So like sad movies are sadder, Happy movies are happier, uh, and people tend to learn to learn better, mm. uh, which which corresponds to the memory you know findings. People also tend to be more motivated. If you give them a goal and they think we are looking at this goal, they tend to perform better and and you know persist more with goals. Now, so that's sort of the findings. That's the idea. And in terms of why this is important, it's kind of a, a, a rabbit hole a little bit. So um, let, let me ask you this. Have you heard, I know you've interviewed lots of scientists. So, yeah. I, you know, pre preparing for this, I was thinking, you know, Shane might, might know more about, you know, interdisciplinary science than I do because I haven't interviewed hundreds of scientists. You, you oh, have all well, I know is social psychology. If it but, makes you feel any better, it all falls immediately out of my brain uh, <laughs> minutes after the interviews. <laughs> so. I, I don't. I don't believe that. I listened to a few of your, of your podcasts before to prepare, and I was like, oh, oh, you know, I need to be prepared, right? Uh, this, guy, this guy knows his stuff. So, so do you know, have you come across a idea of uh, common knowledge? And what, I know there's a lay, layperson term, common knowledge, but there's also a technical term of common knowledge. Uh, no, you should probably explain. Okay, great, awesome. So this is this is far bigger than my research project, and it's it's a it's a fascinating concept, uh, uh, common knowledge. And I'll tell you this: there are very few ideas that transcend disciplines, and common knowledge is is one of these ideas. Mm -hmm. um, and it transcends discipline in disciplines intact. That is, the concept is intact across. So if you look at sociology, anthropology, philosophy, where a lot has been said about this psychology, even computer science, right? Um, common knowledge, the idea of common knowledge is there and it plays a really important role. Okay, so what is it? Common knowledge is the idea that you and I don't only have the same knowledge, right? So you and I don't only know that, you know, there are 24 hours in the day, right? But, but we also know that we know it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there's this meta level to common knowledge that's required. Right. Um, and that meta level is really important, right? 
So it's not, it's not just shared knowledge. It's not that we both know something. It's that we know that we know something together. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so humans do this all the time, create common knowledge. Right? Conversation is a perfect, it, linguistics is a discipline that, that has deeply explored this of common knowledge and has uh, many have argued within that discipline that it's necessary. Establishing common knowledge is the number one thing you do in a conversation, right? To the extent that I think you're going to understand what I'm saying, I have to have some idea of what we know now together. Right, right, right. right. And that we know it, right? Because otherwise you won't be able to decipher my words. Mm-hmm. Um, so linguistically, we always check for common knowledge. Like, like when I said, hey, uh, do you know what common knowledge is? Right? Mm-hmm. So I made mean, sure to know that, you know, and so on. Um, so we do this linguistically all the time, make sure we're on the same page. And then we can proceed. Um, of course, when people teach and, and learn, this is really critical. But it's also really critical in economics, for example, right? In cooperation dilemmas, right? Um, does the other person I'm trying to cooperate with, do they know the trade-offs? And more importantly, do they know that I know the trade-offs, <laughs> right? Because my strategic decision-making is against not only what I understand, but what they understand and what they understand, I understand. Right. And okay. And so that's sort of, so here's, so to express what common knowledge is, you know, this knowledge of knowledge is easy, but the reason why it's super interesting is because it's called the paradox of common knowledge. And here's why it's a paradox. It's a paradox because it seems to be necessary for everyday human functioning. But psychologically speaking, it seems impossible to achieve the way it's been set up. And what, so why is it impossible to achieve? So Lewis is a, is a philosopher who, David Lewis, philosopher, um, 69, came up with this idea in, in his book, Social Conventions. That's been sort of like a seminal idea that, that other disciplines have picked up on and elaborated upon. Uh, but it's been it's been sort of come up with in, in different contexts and different disciplines, and the same idea has been there. And that is that, okay, so I know I have a mind, right? And I know that Shane has a mind. Yeah. Yeah, no, what? Most, yeah. most of the time, right? It's very generous. <laughs> so that creates the, pot- the potential for infinite mirror-in-mirror possibility. Why is that? Well, I know that Shane knows that it's raining, right? But do I know that Shane knows that I know it's raining? Mm -hmm. Maybe. It would be important. But you can go further. You can go to fourth, fifth, sixth. There's uh, an infinite degree of recursion that can happen there, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Steven Pinker from Harvard also talks about this quite eloquently, if people want to look into it. So... The problem is, is that the way the paradigm of common knowledge works is that you need the infinite recursion to get to common knowledge, Mm. right? I need to go, I know that you know, and you know that I know all the way down to get to the idea of common knowledge. (laughs) But but obviously we don't do that. (laughs) Like nobody does that. Even getting to the third or fourth level is difficult for most people and, Mm. and, you know, for anybody really. So then how do we do it? The, this, it's a kind of a, you know, there's a lot on YouTube, people 
want to familiarize themselves with with a problem of common knowledge and why it's a paradox and why it's important. You know, they should. There's a lot of of, of puzzles and sort of quirky dilemmas um, regarding this idea. Just like like the double slit experiment in physics. You know, quantum physics. You know, YouTube is also rife with that kind of thing. Right. Common knowledge also also is sort of a pervasive uh, YouTube meme, meme, if you will, that people can learn more about. So, um, okay, let me give you an example. Um, a, a, an example that really grabbed me when I first learned about the paradox common knowledge, and that's the two generals problems. Uh, sorry, two general problem. So the problem goes like this: uh, you have two generals, each with its each with its respective army, right? And one general is on one hill, and a second general is on another hill, and in the valley is a monster, right? And each general knows if they march down with their army to face the monster in the valley, they will be surely defeated, 100% defeated, okay? Could expect, they also know that if they only march together at the same exact time, they will surely be victorious, okay? So the only thing they really need to do is somehow coordinate this joint expedition, right? So General 1 says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm gonna send a messenger to General Two on the other hill and um, let him know that you know we're we're gonna march at 10 a.m. tomorrow morning. So he sends a messenger. Now, of course, sending a messenger through a valley in which a monster lives is a bit perilous. Let's just say there's like a a small chance the messenger will not get there, right? Let's say a five percent chance. Okay. Right. So, so General Two. Uh, so the messenger gets through, right? I mean, as you would expect, 95% chance, right? The messenger gets through. General 2 gets the message. Okay, we're going to march at 10 a.m. Does General 2 march? Well, well right. you know, if you, if you think through it, he doesn't. Because yeah. he knows, look, listen, I got the message, but I know that General 1 doesn't know that, right? Yeah. Because General 1 is thinking there's a 5% chance he didn't get it. So I'm not sure he got the message. There's a 5% chance. And if I march on that 5% chance, there's a 5% chance I'll be killed because I'll march alone because General 2 didn't get the message. General 2, knowing this, is not going to march himself, right? Because now there's also a 5% chance he's going to be killed, right? Right? When he marches alone. Now, okay, so General 2 sends a message back to General 1, and you think that would solve the problem. It does not do anything to solve the problem. Yeah, and and the crazy thing is no matter how many messages, same thing occurs. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, I say you're you're doing a lovely job of explaining it. Yeah, I I, I understand perfectly. This is uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. This it's is there, there, there's there's no monster in the valley of our communication right now. <laughs> I, I get I get exactly where you're going with this. Awesome, yeah. awesome. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. <laughs> I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Support for this podcast comes from CDW and Adobe. At CDW, we get your organization can be demanding. We know you're in there. 
I know. The marketing team's outside my office. They want their Adobe update now. With Adobe's value incentive plan, deployed by the experts at CDW, you can quickly and easily manage software subscriptions for the whole team. On Acrobat and Creative Cloud? All included. Cool. Guys, I'm coming out. Don't hurt me. For a satisfied digital workforce, you need Adobe and IT orchestration by CDW. People who get it. Find out more at cdw.com slash adobe. So, so this is the paradox of common knowledge. It seems like we need to understand one another. And the recursion, mind and mind recursion, seems to make it impossible. Because mm -hmm. you can never get to a satisfactory uh, conclusion there. It's, it's infinite. Mm -hmm. um, now... You could say, some people could say, say well, this is what psychologists say. They say, well, do we really need to go all the way down to the bottom? That's impossible. Aren't you setting up a straw man here? You know, after a third or fourth communique, you know, people are fairly certain, right? My answer to that is, well, there's no principled way to stop. Like, why, why the second versus the third versus the fourth? Like, which level is the certainty level, right? Mm -hmm. And, 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 and the other, you know, the other thing to think about here is, well, what if there was a simple way to establish common knowledge psychologically, right? Um, then you wouldn't have to do any of this recursion whatsoever. And this is where my research comes in, right? What about collective attention stops doubt in common knowledge? Well, That's sorry, say, say that again. What amount of what? What, yeah, what you, about, you cut out just a little bit. Oh, sorry, but what about collective attention? The, the thing that I studied, right? What about the idea of collective attention, that we are attending to something, stops doubt hmm. from uh, in common knowledge? Well, this is like uh, what I've been thinking about the whole time. This is the perplexing thing to me is, is that, um, and, and uh, maybe we're not there yet, but I, uh, the idea of, of the many assumptions that we seem to make um, in terms of we, we often assume, even if you're say, physically looking at the same thing, like say a presidential address or something like that during a pandemic, depending on what side of the fence you fall in and how much you like this given leader or whatever, you might make the assumption that everyone's seeing and perceiving this the exact same way that you are. I mean. Hey, this person has eyes and ears and a brain. Why aren't Why aren't they getting the same exact takeaway that I'm getting um, right. from this? And then, and then also, um, it 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 goes it goes the opposite way as well, where um, where sometimes we assume that people don't have the knowledge that we have, like especially especially we like to like pat ourselves on the back and like over, you know, this is like the whole world of like mansplaining, you know, right. that, that, you, that you hear about like, well, let me, let me right. explain to you little lady how right. the world works. Um, right. And, and so there, there are definitely errors um, right. within this. And as someone, in case you can't tell by my virtual background, I've, I've done a fair amount of psychedelics in my life and there's yeah. an interesting experience yeah, within that which is like a, a person can have like each individual person who so you get together with a group of 
people, each individual person is very much having their own individual experience and what is important, what about the tree, what, what meaning they're deriving from this is very unique to the individual, but at the same time there's, this, there's something neurologically triggered that has this collective feel to it of uh -huh. like, oh wow, we ha we're having this collective experience right now, this, right. this universal consciousness. But then you right. ask any one of those individuals to report on what that individual and they're not. <laughs> and they're, they're not at all. So yeah, this is a really fascinating subject. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, so I, I listened a little bit about uh, your interview with, with Joe Rogan, is that his name? Yeah. And so I, yeah, I, yeah, no, totally. I see that. And, and I would say that that is a, I mean, I have, I haven't done psychedelics yet, but um, it sounds like it's a highly enhanced, to me, it sounds like a highly enhanced experience of everyday life. Yeah. Right. Because those, those two feelings <laughs> to me seem like, well, that's what people feel as well to a certain extent, just to a much lower degree. Yeah, they, some people call psychedelics non-specific amplifiers, uh -huh, um, uh -huh. meaning that okay. they're they're usually just amplifying what's already kind of in there. Just I see what's I see. being amplified at any one given time is, is right. somewhat right. unpredictable. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, oh, so that's exactly right. Um, so my idea is when we walk around the world, you know, most of the time we we experience the world from a collective agent's perspective. And what I mean by that is that we literally think, right? When you see something in the world, we, we often think, not I am seeing it, you think to yourself, we are seeing it, mm -hmm. right? So even though you're embodied individual, you have an individual brain, right? There's no psychic connection. Uh, there's no, you know, there's no, cord there's no ethernet cord going from my brain to your brain like i'm not saying that right there's no mm -hmm. actual collective consciousness but psychologically speaking i think we experience the world as if there is a collective perspective that we we're constantly carrying with ourselves that could be dampened or heightened and i think the reason for that is because if we did not have this collective perspective um instantiated, right, when appropriate, we wouldn't be able to communicate with as much efficiency and coordinate with as much efficiency as we do. Because what that collective perspective allows us to say to ourselves is, I have, it, what, what it, sorry, it's kind of tricky because it's not what it allows us to do, it, it's what it prevents us from not doing. So what having a collective perspective on something, you know, this, this, this sense that we are tending to our conversation right now, let's say, right? What, a, what it prevents us from, from, from doing is, is doubting that Sean understands what I mean when I say X. Mm -hmm. it, it prevents us from common knowledge doubts. Right? Mm. Um, that, that's really the idea, mm. right? And it, it, so it allows us to, 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 to just keep talking, not, not having to constantly ascertain common knowledge is there. Now, of course, we do, sometimes we get signals that we don't understand each other. And at that point, the spell is broken. And I'm like, oh, wait, okay. Now, we don't understand each other. Collective attention is, is broken. I have to backtrack, you know, fill in, or you have to backtrack, fill in, and, and get on the same page again. 
But if everything is functioning fine, we have the sense of this collective agent uh, attention, right? We are attending. There's no room for for you doubting or me doubting because those those persona are not in our mind. Hmm. Only we are in our mind. So in fact, it's sort of a, this radical idea that I think is a radical idea that conversation, you know, conversation where you feel understood and understand others has to involve a collective agent in your mind. You have to be thinking we, 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 as you're talking as to prevent doubts about mind and mind recursion, right? Mm. And that paradox of common knowledge. But yeah, what you said about, you know, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, something that just fascinates me is as you're talking about the recursion and, I'm, and now you have my head thinking about the fractal-like nature of everything in the in the universe yeah. and complexity and everything else. I, I, I really like thinking about the, the kind of tipping point or, or the criteria between like, right. but what, what is, what is that difference between when you don't have doubt and you do have doubt? Like, <laughs> like how is, how is the brain doing that? I, I mean, I mean, first off, it's crazy that we, we have the ability to not have doubt in the first place because this is, in my understanding, this is the, the other species that have anything like this right. have it right. much more limited. Um, right, this default theory of truth—that's a popular idea, right? Yeah, that at default we think everything is—you believe everything at default, and we only mm -hmm. question if something if something seems awry, right? That's why mm -hmm. we're so susceptible to internet scams and so on. Um, hmm. Right, right. Um, um, is, is there any is there any kind of um, uh, do you think about this from an evolutionary perspective of how how some of these uh, perceptions right. were able to adapt in the first place <laughs> well right i mean so i i don't take a hard line here whether this is an evolved capacity collective attention or a learned one yeah. simply because i don't have data um and there's no logical reason to to say whether it's definitely learned or definitely evolved that being said i can give you an evolutionary story of course right and the evolutionary story goes something like this um that's sort of the problem with evolutionary story. You can always give it a, give one. But um, the evolutionary story is something like this. You know, we don't succeed as individuals. We succeed as groups, right? So to succeed as a group, you need highly efficient communication. You know, humans are really adept at collective action, right? Perhaps this is, you know, I hate to, these jaded phrases are fundamental, you know, sort of. <laughs> ability as human beings and so on everybody says it and then puts in their own thing so mm -hmm. i don't want to be one of those people but it does seem if you look around the natural world we're the only ones building skyscrapers and you know jets and so on um ants cooperate bees cooperate lots of species cooperate of course for their well-being and apparently ants i just learned this a couple of couple of months back ants can cooperate in like billions or trillions you know something we can't achieve but um there's something different about our cooperation. It's highly flexible, right? It's sort of um, yeah, yeah. There, there. I mean, there, there's a there's a species of ants in like South America. There's like a, right, right. Uh, that that starts spiraling, um, right. And and gets into like this death spiral. Like one one of them goes goes the wrong direction, and then they all start going. They all start turning a little too fast, 
and then they just turn into the swarming spiral of death that they can't they can't get out of it. They'll just keep on <laughs> oh, no, spinning. No. Yeah, it'll just keep oh, no. on spinning in a circle. <laughs> so so our our cooperation is is a lot more flexible in, in I that hope sense. So. <laughs> so so some would argue we're heading toward a, a cliff pretty quickly right. <laughs> as, right. as humans, but I hope but you're seemingly right. we're, we're we're seemingly at least able to tell ourselves a fanciful story about our 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 flexibility. That's very impressive seeming. <laughs> right, right, right. And, you know, these flexible conversations, you know, it, it's, it's hard for me. I, I'm sure other people can talk to this much more aptly than I can. But um, there, there's a certain amount, like you said, flexibility that, you know, I, you, you don't see in other species. Now, I'm a social psychologist, so what do I know? But that being said, how do you maintain this sort of flexibility? I mean, how do you maintain a conversation, which is sort of the essential coordination function we do as human beings, right? We've got to converse, we've got to understand each other we, to, to have a collective plan. Uh, uh, we have to understand our respective roles in the, in a, in a sort of a, in a, in the bigger structure, in the bigger scheme of things. And so what you need is that sort of flexible understanding in spite of the fact that we can see that the world is constantly changing, right? What's coming out of my mouth is constantly changing. The world around us is constantly changing. Yet we have to be on the same page to understand one another. Mm -hmm. So how do we get on that same page? Right? Collective attention, prioritizing what we know together now, right, is one, one sort of cognitive, social cognitive mechanisms by which we would get on, maintain that same page despite the fact that the information is constantly fluid. Right, it's not a static information. If if information was static, we don't we you know we get on the same page and we'd stay there, no big deal, right? We don't need these cognitive mechanisms. But but the problem is that the 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 environment is 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 constantly changing, both ch being changed by us as as we're changing it and this talking about it and ch changed externally. So th that's the difficulty. How do we synchronize in in the face of constant change? And collective attention is something that synchronizes a group activity. Hmm. Hey, everybody, it's Elaine Welteroth, and I'm hosting a new podcast called Built to Last by American Express, where we will dive deep into the stories, history, and continued legacy of small businesses that shape American culture. Our debut season will focus on Black-owned small businesses that need our support now more than ever. In each episode, we feature the story of a Black business trailblazer that has inspired a modern Black-owned business. First up is Pinky Cole of Atlanta's food truck turned restaurant, Slutty Vegan. We'll also chat with Hanifa Muemba, the cutting edge designer behind the Hanifa 3D digital fashion show. Plus, we'll check in with Issa Rae, our modern day Renaissance woman. We hope that it encourages all of our listeners to support these businesses as well as the black owned businesses in your own communities. Tune in for these amazing stories and others on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. It's JCPenney here, back with some great gift ideas for everyone on your list. And they're all available now at your local JCPenney or online. Need gifts for her? Check out our selection of diamond jewelry that's sure to put a sparkle in her eye. Or help her cozy up at home with pajama separates and super soft slippers. For him, try JCPenney's grooming products like shave sets and trimmers. Or compliment his style with smart flannels and jeans from brands like Arizona, Levi's, and more. 
Also, stop by Sephora inside JCPenney to find top fragrances for both him and her. For the kids, shop this year's must-have toys and games for all ages, or bring smiles to all with matching sleepwear sets for the whole family. And for everyone else on your list, share some warmth with a heated blanket, an ultra-cozy scarf, or let them decide with a gift card. There are so many ways to share the joy this holiday season, and so many ways to shop JCPenney. Visit a store near you, pick up curbside, or go to jcp.com. Joy, comfort, peace. JCPenney. I'm also curious, sorry if this is a little bit of a tangent. Um, no, fine. But, but I, I'm just having lots of... Uh, uh, lots of new ideas bubbling up as I, I I've been uh, be, because this is the 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 way in which this pandemic has has changed yes. our our lens on everything. I'm I'm uh, one of the things that I'm thinking about with this in terms of different debates going on and everything else. But uh, one thing that I notice a lot of people do to convince others or or what seems to be a successful debate or um, uh, tactic or way of convincing people of anything is to be like, is to say, oh, well, we all know. And, and like, oh, you God. can hear that and be like, well, I didn't know. But then, uh, oh, yeah, I guess, like, just like that <laughs> in the snap of a finger is like, oh, yeah, I guess we, I guess we all oh, do yeah. know that. And, and, and then, <laughs> and then uh, we even, and everyone, you know, academics do this, every, everyone, yes. philosopher politicians. does this, of, of politicians do this, of, of, of being like, well, um, Edward Finkelberg said this very um, neat sounding quote, and then everyone's like, ooh, well, this person, Edward Finkelberg, that I've never heard of until now, <laughs> said that? Well, I guess it's, I guess this is common knowledge um, <laughs> then. Uh, <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, that's what, that's what people are trying, they're trying to, right, in, unknowingly people are, <coughs> linguistically you know paving the route to common knowledge in your head they're like we know this mm -hmm. did you know that we know this <laughs> right um yeah no it's it's effective i i noticed this in writing you know people love to write in the third person plural we right i'm uh, sorry first first person plural of we mm -hmm. and again i wonder whether that has a more powerful psychological effect on people than saying, I know that, you know, uh, I if, have found if, this. If, if this podcast was called Here I Am, <laughs> that's, that's a lot, one, it would sound a lot more narcissistic. Uh, Here <laughs> right. I am, everybody, listen to me. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, that's. Somebody, somebody just got that idea. They'll probably go with it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, Huh. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And so yeah, it's a yeah, it's there's there's this power of we and I, and I, and I and the claim is that it's a it's a real psychological heuristic that has real power uh, because of these you know kind of conceptual logical reasons and 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 the data also uh, in my lab and others that kind of point to synchronous co-attention being being um, a catalyst for for learning hmm and by the way we should talk about zoom and why it's so uncomfortable and distracting as opposed to actual interaction and and, and you know the fact that zoom is excellent at bifurcating our worlds you know 
Well, we should we should absolutely yeah. talk about that yeah. um, because I've I've had me zooming for the first time in my <laughs> life, as many of us are. I've had a lot of right. thoughts on on the differences, pros and yeah. cons um, right. of of regular communication. Uh, ju- just real quickly, maybe before we get yeah. into that, and then sure. and, and we can and we can start kind of looking at the lens of like what what's actually happening now and and what you. What what your research the the maybe unique perspective you might have on on um, right. uh, on the situation as you see it. Zoom Zoom being a good example of this. Um, <laughs> right. But but I wanted to ask why is there is there any research why um, why Shane um, talking in the third person might be it might be good or bad. <laughs> How is that an odd thing? This, this like thing that and that must be a different thing altogether. Of of like that's almost like a a way of just like standing out. A, a way that Shane do likes that to lot? stand out. No, okay. not, but, Shane, <laughs> but Shane's gonna start. Uh, and I think it, I think if Shane did start talking in the third person, it would it would be because Shane got the idea that maybe it makes him a more interesting person or something. More peculiar for sure. More, I, more I peculiar. <laughs> I I don't know this this is more of a clinical psychology realm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This might be a mental health issue. Right, um, it's more like dissociation, dissociation from the self kind mm-hmm. of uh, yeah, objectification of self thing, yeah. No. So, all right, let's talk about Zoom because let me let me throw one of the pros at you first because yeah, I think okay. I think you're going to be it. talking about some of the many issues that you and yes. And by the way, we're still we're still in the thick of a lot of the learning and a lot of the frustrations and adapting to the new change. So it might be the case that we're that we're noticing more negatives than um, right. than actually exist. One one thing that I've noticed just in terms of doing this podcast is that <clears throat> I've been having um, some of the better conversations and and. Ma- Maybe I'm just you know when when shit hits the fan, that's when I'm like at my funniest and sharpest and everything. And so so maybe I'm a better host than usual. But I don't think that's the. It might very well be the case. But my perception is that my guests are the loosest I've ever seen them um i mean i do all of mine uh, mobily uh, normally um i'd be in your home or your office right now if i was interviewing you and i find that academics are very careful in what they say they often you know don't want to speculate uh, on things yeah. and, and like kind of like go on the record saying this or that right. or this is out of my field or whatnot and right. then i'll and then i'll hit stop <laughs> on the podcast and then we have the most fascinating conversation (laughs) after the interview is over yeah that's happened uh, that's happened at least a hundred times in the history of my my podcast where the most interesting conversation that i have is after we're done recording um and and um as i'm sure you you can kind of understand and, and why that has to be in many ways but there's just something about um, a nice apocalypse that makes people just not give a shit. And, yeah. um, <laughs> and bigger, they're bigger problems. Yeah. Just bigger yeah. problems than, yeah. than, than uh, mincing your words and, and carefully right. making sure who you're citing and staying in your lane and this and that. 
And so I, I don't know if that's it. And, and maybe, maybe if you and I were in person, you would be just as loose or even more loose because of the pandemic that's, that's going on. Or if there's something about the, the virtual conversation that allows for some sort of, maybe you're not picking up on the cute. I, I can be a very socially awkward person and I'm, and I'm less socially awkward um, oh, yes. through, through Zoom. And so maybe when I, maybe you and I meet in person and you, and you pick up on how awkward I am as I'm setting up my equipment and trying to like keep, keep a conversation going. Maybe that's making people, yeah. so, you know, there's a zillion variables, but, but that's just yeah. one, one thing that's really sticked out to me so far. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're thinking with all these variables, you're right. I mean, you're thinking like a scientist in that it's hard to isolate any which one. My sense is that it's really the pandemic, not the Zoom. The mm -hmm. pandemic, you know, it, it's a brave new world. In a way, it's liberating, right? Because you go every day through the world every day through the same world you know by the time you're 40 years old you know the routine if you're lucky mm -hmm. and what i mean by lucky is you're in a stable job in a stable country stable part of the world everything seems pretty predictable to the point of sometimes boredom and complacency mm -hmm. right but it also you feel very regulated by by all the social norms and patterns that you've learned in your 40 plus years but then a pandemic happens and all of a sudden things are different, right? You can't talk to people. You can't go to grocery stores, no movie theaters, no place. Who would have thought that we were capable of changing the society like this? Yeah. So I also think our old habits of the way we talk to anyone become a little more relaxed. I don't, well, you know, this is in, in speaking of uh, in speaking of the psychedelic experience. Um, right. You know, I I often explain it to someone that has never done this, like that that it's just a way of like, it you know, you know this this creates this new lens and you see the world very very differently and and people mm -hmm. it sounds like there's a lot of ego in there and people are like right. oh so you're smarter you figured it out like right. no no that's not it's not that it's not it's not a more correct perspective necessarily it's just a different one and and it's and it's just a lot like it's just a lot like traveling it's a, it's a lot it's a lot like going to a different right. country and taking in a new culture and you're like right. oh i didn't realize bathrooms could be like that i'd never really right. thought about that before and now right. all of the sudden all of us right. the the trip is coming to uh, the <laughs> new the world trip. is coming yeah. to us um and and right. so everyone's like oh geez i'm rethinking how work goes i'm rethinking right. how, boy i never found myself right. thinking about supply chains so much before right Maybe you should get into gardening how can right. i how can i get a a craft project that will also help me uh right. like uh, put a respirator on my face <laughs> like, and and, and, yeah. and this is like it doesn't matter who you are it doesn't matter you can have the most nine to five um mundane cranking the widget out repetitive uh right. life in the world and all of a sudden guess what you're you're being blasted with a whole lot of new perspectives right. which is yeah. which I, I think can also be really exciting i think a lot of yeah. people including myself are having these collective yeah. like, kind of manic episodes because they're all right. having these creating these new associations these yeah. like shower yeah. thoughts are bubbling up yeah. like uh, yeah. uh you know a yeah. thousand times more frequently than normal yeah and um, yeah. and yeah, this is well, quite the experience. I mean, 
what you said about travel is exactly right on. I mean, that paradigm for today is right on because we, we did travel to another country, right? Yeah. We have traveled. And what's really weird is we kind of know it's the same country, right? So, yeah. so it's even more powerful because we have to, you know, we have to say it's the same country, but the different country. And it, it makes us re-examine, you know, a fish in water never notices the water, right? But once you, once you put it on land, it really starts appreciating its past environment. And we now start appreciating not only what has changed, but also, you know, the, whether the routines and the structures of the past world were that necessary, right? Uh, or not that, that not that necessary, but could they be rethought? You know, things that we took for granted as, uh, uh, as everyday things, our touchstones could, could obviously be rearranged. So, so what else could be rearranged, right? Mm-hmm. So we have kind of travel. We do. We are having culture shock in a sense, right? Where mm-hmm. social conventions are, are are changing rapidly and messing with friendships as well. I should mention, like, we have friends that have different ideas about socializing, and so and having to navigate that is fraught with, you know, oh man, it's just like bombs everywhere. Yeah, or, there's this you know. there's this back and forth of um of of the kind of human spirit right now that's that's just like we all need to work together and then i'm like also everyone needs to fuck off <laughs> <laughs> like, right. 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 And, and so there's a lot of like we all need to right. all get together and collectively fuck off all at the same time well well yeah i would say yeah it's collectively we need to get together but interpersonally fuck off <laughs> yeah, yeah. you and i you know, not as close. We, however, are the closest. <laughs> oh, that, yeah, that's an interesting. The, the we is strong. The the ephemeral, abstract we is strong. The interpersonal, like dyadic relationships, are being strained. You know. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> with with family life and everything else that people are having to deal oh, with in their quarantine. Yeah. I I love that. I I, I love that <laughs> that people like you know people plan out their lives and they're like uh you, you know there's just when when people had their married marriage vows and it's just like sickness and health the death do you part people are like i do i do if they would have been like quarantined 24 7 for for an unknown number of years months days weeks uh fuck no i'm not Right. I'm not signing up for that. And right. same, same with, uh, I mean, just what people are having to do with, with the kids and everything. Uh, I mean, just just the people, the people that you care about the most in life. Those are those are going to be the uh, the relationships that are the most strained. And then and then and then the the strangers that you'll never meet are the ones that you're kind of bonding with the most or feeling the need to bond with. Right. That's what we're missing. I mean. I have to say, I, it's hard to ana- analyze things in the moment. It, it, I think we're not going to, it's going to be fast. Hopefully when we come out of this, it's going to be a fascinating look back on how different it was and what it means and, and whatnot. But uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, we didn't sign up for this. That's, that's for sure. The history um, channel is going to be so interesting <laughs> um, in, in like a yeah. hundred years from now, because they're going to have all of all of our various hot takes and everything like uh, recorded and right. you know right. there's a lot of right now right now we have to there's these you know 
world wars and stuff where we're like, okay, <laughs> we found some letter and some general said right. this, so we're inferring this is probably what was in the minds of the troops at this time. Right. And now, now everyone's, now everyone's right. taking selfies of their apocalypse experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Too much, info, too much media. Yeah, too much, <laughs> um, too much media. So but, okay, quickly about the negatives. Just real quick about the yeah, negatives yeah. of Zoom, and just any sort of any sort of virtual communication, and it really relates to what I was talking about, right? So when you and I sit in the room and talk, it might be more stilted because you know for some for some reasons, probably because I'm wearing pants and now I'm not. You know, I'm kidding. Uh, but um, edit that uh, out. Actually, I, I, <laughs> no, I I've been I've been uh, I've been asking that question in. Uh, um, a number of podcast. I have a podcast about mating uh, edition of this that I've been recording with with four of us, and that's my opening question each time. Of like, all right, right. who's wearing pants? <laughs> <laughs> right, but uh, uh, I shaved, so I feel like that was uh, yeah today. So I feel like that was a victory. But um, I'm gonna I'm gonna totally let myself go. Just see what happens. <laughs> well, the one thing that hasn't been mentioned is haircuts. Right. Yeah. Uh, in a, in two months, it's going to be really interesting the way people start looking. That you know. But anyway. Um. Okay. So if we're sitting in the same room, we share the world. Right. I have very little doubt that we are in the same room together. That we are attending to fairly the same physical space. But when we're zooming, my world is necessary necessarily bifurcated. I have. We have our common common world that you and I share right now, mostly through words, right? Almost exclusively through words, right? Uh, I see a little bit of you. You see a little bit of me. But I have this whole other world, as you do too, that I know you're not privy to, right? I can hear my kid. I can see my room. Mm. There are all sorts of stimuli, right? And I know that is not common knowledge. Mm -hmm. So I have to continuously suppress that mm. as unimportant to our conversation. Mm. If, I, if I didn't suppress that, you know, so I have to, if I didn't suppress that, it would interfere. Uh, and, and I can't really do it. I keep thinking, I'm in my bedroom right now. I keep thinking about my bed for some reason and how relaxing mm. it looked. Completely yeah. inconsequential to what we're talking about. Yeah, I, um, I, have, a, I have this virtual background. Behind me, there's actually cages filled with uh, tigers. I got, I got inspired <laughs> recently. I started collecting right. tigers. I, I think heard there's an ethics show. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, and, and lo and behold, they're a bit more distracting than I thought they were, right. they were going to right. be. So I threw up this virtual background. But you see, if, if I was in the room with you, they wouldn't be as distracting for you because you would know I can see them as well. Yeah. It'd be common knowledge. It wouldn't be a big deal. We'd be able to talk about it, reference knowingly, you know, <laughs> laugh yeah. as we just did, you know. But but this sort of, these two the, managing these two worlds is an essential cognitive way that that just you know it just puts a little friction. People can do it right, and the best way to do it. I was thinking about this. Maybe you maybe this should go into your guidelines for future podcasts. Mm. Everybody has to turn off their lights. They have to be in darkness, no external stimuli, all attention on the screen. You know, so they don't have these two competing, you know, a unique world versus a common world with you. Um, that's I, an interesting yeah. thought yeah huh and I don't know how you feel about virtual reality but it's a little you know dizzying to me but conceptually speaking virtual reality kind of gets gets around that because it does block out the rest of the world huh. um, hmm versus 
Zoom that does not. Hmm. Um, but yeah, that's my take. That's that's my that's my little contribution to to the, to the Zoom debate. Um, huh? Yeah, I. That is it, so. So I have a, this this web series called Quarantine Couple. Um, uh-huh. uh, that, that I started shooting, um, with this, uh, um, comedic actress and she's a, a filmmaker. Um, and uh-huh. we're, we're in, uh, we have, we have similar sensibilities and, uh, humor and interest in science. And so we've, we've been like reframing this in a, in a goofy world. And so we, um, but we're, we're not, uh, we're in different cities. So we set it up that I'm like a Postmates delivery guy that got stuck in her house, in quarantine, <laughs> but quarantined, okay. but in separate rooms. <laughs> so anyhow, we've been recording all these things. And like, so for example, we just did like a parody of, it's a parallel universe. So we just did a parody uh-huh. of, um, of the Tiger King where we're, we're discussing, uh-huh. we're discussing having watched the hippo queen um, <laughs> together and we were just and it's just an improvised thing that we're doing and and we're coming up with names uh of of characters on the show and i noticed that mostly what we were doing was um coming up with names of like things that were around <laughs> our, our <laughs> individual <laughs> rooms like a right. guy was like a uh, penny uh, because I, <laughs> and stuff like that so and and uh, so that's just one uh, one oh. small example, but you, you know what I'm saying. So like that's we're, a great experiment, actually. Yeah, we're all being no, influenced it. by this different stimulus right. too, and then and, and so and then she's that's probably thinking like, why Penny? That, yeah, <laughs> you're so yeah. creative, Sean. Why are you coming up with that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> she had been in the same room she would have known it's not uh, it's just on the wall or the yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Funny. So, yeah. Uh, um so yeah i i don't yeah. because at first when you said that i was like well how distracting can it possibly be like like i right. i like a certain i i like i like a certain level of distraction like right. i you, you know, much in the way that you have your best thoughts, like in a shower or when washing dishes right. or something like yeah. that, or, or when driving, right. like, right. it's almost like I can pay better attention to you if I have right. just the slightest amount of distraction yes. outside yes. of this. Um, yes. So, so that's, so yeah, so it's not just, uh, it's not just distra- distraction. And by the way, what you're saying fits very well with arousal theory where, you know, people, people have different levels of arousal that, that, that help them operate most efficiently. Right. And Mm -hmm. yours is, and I'm the same way, actually, I do my best work from a coffee shop, a loud coffee shop. So there's a, Mm -hmm. like a certain amount of arousal that is just optimal for, for the task. Now, the more difficult the task, the less arousal. Right. So I can, Mm -hmm. you know, I can listen to classical music if it's a, it's a fairly hard task, but if it's a really hard task, I can't listen to any music because but anyways, that's sort of this idea. Yeah. Just remind me, of, remind me of that. Um, yeah. So it's not nearly distraction. It's not that. It's not so much that I, you know, this painting here is distracting me. It's why it's distracting me. It's distracting me because I know you are not privy to it, right? So it's this. It's it's because it's not social. It's because asocial. Had you been in this room, the same painting would not be distracting me. Right, because then I would assume you can see it too, and then it's a part of our joint world that is potentially relevant to hmm. everything we say and how we understand each other. Hmm. You know what I mean? So it's not so much that there's just like 
a random stimulus here. It's that you can't see it. And that mm. bothers me. Mm. That that's that's sort of the thing. So at some yeah. What what is the difference between that and um, talking on the phone? It's there isn't much, right? Mm. Yeah, it'd be very similar. Yeah, mm. uh, it'd be very similar talking on the phone. Um, you know, yeah, any sort of non-virtual interaction would 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 have the same. It's just I'm just spitballing here. I haven't done any studies, nor will I a year apparently. Uh, so. Uh, it's, it's just an idea. Hmm. Um, but um, there's one little thing I wanted to mention about collective attention. The one thing that it's kind of a little big thing that we haven't talked about. And that is, I, I only talked about collective attention to the world, right? So we see the fact that, you know, the painting is there and we see that the economy is down, going down the tubes and, and so on, right? We see the world. But of course, also turn that collective attention lens, not on the world, not on the physical substrate of the world as we see it, but also on what we conceive to be our ideas, right? So human beings have this ability, who knows what other species can do. I'm not a primatologist, but I know human beings can reflect on ideas, right? Things that are, do not have physical foundations. And we make that distinction, right? We say to ourselves, hey, here's a bed, and here's my attitude towards that bed. And we know that our attitude is something that is not material. It's something that sort of exists within us in our thoughts, right? And we do the same, same thing with, with other people, right? We can reflect on thoughts. We can reflect on objects, and we, seek to, and we treat those as separate things. So with collective attention, you can, have, you can also have collective attention and join thoughts, right? Sean and I uh, are really enjoying ourselves right now. Right? That's not really a material object, our enjoyment. It's a psychological state that we are collectively attending to. Right? And the argument is that when we collectively attend to something like that, that is sort of the uh, key, ingredient, key ingredient to our bond, to our social, social bond. To the extent that I can reflect on the fact that we are attending to our, whatever it is, our grief, it doesn't matter what the target is, as long as it's a psychological joint state. We are attending to our grief. We're attending to our happiness. Laughter is a great, a great bonding thing. Why? You know, stand-up comedy, you tell a joke, or even any lecture often begins with a joke. Why? Well, you have this moment of collective attention on joint glee, right? Mm -hmm. it, there's, no more, there's no more bonding of, a, of an event, right? Mm -hmm. in, in that moment, we are sure we are thinking the same thing, right? We are on the same page in terms of our mental state. Huh. So, so collective that, attention can also be used, yeah. Uh, that, yeah. That is, I never really thought about laughter as this, this like sinking tool, a, a, a way in which we, we sync up or, or applause is the same um, kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Of, of just like, it, it's not even so much that it's funny, it's, it's like this cue like, hey, we're all on the same page right now. Or like, yes, or like exactly. doing, this is why we like doing the wave. Like, wow, look what we're able to all <laughs> coordinate. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, so there are studies in psychology about synchronous movement. And if you can get people to synchronously clap or in the lab, you know, they feel closer to one another. And, and what, what my wrinkle adds to that is that what, the reason why that really works is that you have collective attention 
to that collective mental state in the moment. Because hmm. it, it's that collective attention that, that, that prevents doubts about our collective state, right? Am I the only one that, that knows that we're laughing? Or do you also know that I know? And so on, right? You, you don't want to get into that recursive doubt. So, so collective attention to that collective mental state is, is important to, to really know that we're all experiencing it together. And yeah, so laughter, laughter is, and you're right. I mean, we could be collectively crying and presumably have the same bonding effect mm. uh, as, as collective laughter, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. um, collect, so, yeah. Collective yelling doesn't work as well, I feel like. <laughs> maybe... not, 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 not at each other, but <laughs> somebody else. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. What if, what... What about um, and and we can we can wrap up uh, soon here, but um, yeah. But what what about something like um, kind of the idea of gaslighting or or something or where where you know I know I've experienced this many times in life. I'm sure many people have, where it's just like. Am I crazy or is every <laughs> other single person in the world crazy? Like how, how am I uh-huh. seemingly seeing this differently than everyone else seems to be? So, so you seem like you, mm. you, this feeling of being very outside the collective rather than assuming yeah. you're a part of it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think that that would be disturbing, right? I mean, because I think the default state is that, you know, so people, this is what fascinates me about American culture. So before this, I was a, actually a cross-cultural psychologist that really was fascinated in cultural differences. And what you, what it reminds me, your question reminds me of, of American culture. And in American culture, you know, we have this cult of individualism. And we kind of, we, we assume and notice, uh, especially uh, experience that seem very unique to us and individualistic, because that sort of re, re, reaffirms our individuality, right, and, and uniqueness. But what we take for granted is that the vast majority of our feelings we, we deem to be collective. And the reason why you're so like, oh, my God, am I the only one that seems, you know, when I was reading that mask advice, you know, uh, three weeks ago where they said don't wear masks, I was like, this seems like a total lie and insane, yet nobody's saying anything. I must be going crazy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's sort of an experience. Of course, I didn't say anything either because God knows, like, the power of, of the government would come down on me and tell, you know, and say right. that I'm an apostate. But, but uh, I happened to notice, notice it because it was an exception to the rule. Because most of the time, like, oh, yeah, we're, we're pretty much on the same page, you know, mm-hmm. uh, both, both in terms of the world we see and the feelings we all have, right? Mm-hmm. That's sort of the water we swim in. And once in a while, you have this experience of, wow. I might, I might be the only one that happened. And those are both exciting because they're new and slightly disturbing. And you hurry to talk to your friend to assure you that you're still living in the social reality and say, Hey, I, I feel this way. You know, you bring it up with other individuals to get back to baseline in a sense. Right. Mm-hmm. So anytime we actually feel true individuality, we, we rush to stamp it out in a sense mm-hmm. by sharing it with others and like socializing it and make sure we're not uh, insane. Right. Hmm. Um, so insanity. Um, is, yeah. The the last question that I have for you is: yeah. is, is there are there any um, are there any studies that you're doing uh, in this moment, taking advantage of this new um, 
cultural, social, individual experience that we're all having? Uh, you know, I, I decided, I think I read this somewhere and it really resonated that this is going to be um, a marathon, right? That this is the marathon and you don't start running a marathon by, by sprinting, making quick decisions at the beginning of the race. You kind of, you, you, you know, you do what you do. You don't abandon your routines. You do your routines and um, you reflect and uh, see, see what happens. So that's why I'm pacing myself. So, you know, I haven't started anything new. I'm thinking about um, ideas I've already had, writing them up, things like that. Um, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm preparing for the long haul. And I, I'm afraid that I've, I've noticed this with academics. You know, everybody I know in academia right now is starting a million projects, going crazy. And, and uh, I wonder whether that's a coping strategy, you know? Yeah, yeah. What, you know, <laughs> you know I, yeah. I, I don't know if it's a good one in the long term because you're going to get exhausted. Um, yeah. Well, I've, I've adopted a... Just I've, lazy, I've, Adam. I've adopted a, a sprint and collapse uh, kind of strategy <laughs> toward all of this <laughs> so far. But well, um, yeah, right. I, I mean... I, I mean, it's tricky to tease apart for for me um, what is um, you know inspiration and what is um, what is just right. coping or anxiety um, driven because um, because I, I find uh, inspiration can be um, mostly healthy. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, then there's, there's also like, uh, I have to watch out for, um, mania, which is well, like, here's the way to tell. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want mania. Yeah. It's never, that's, that's, that's exhausting, right? Uh, yeah. Um, it's a, it's, well, so, it's a very inspired, but also very leads to like lots of short temperament, a lot of grandiosity and everything else. So I need to watch yeah. for all of that. Sure. In retrospect, it, it, it doesn't. Seems good. Well, here's my way of telling. This is not expert advice. It's just what I do. Um, if I fit, if I work on that task, whatever that task is, let's just say we don't know that it's manic, anxiety, or uh, inspiration, and then I take a break, let's say a couple of hour break, do I have peace in that break? If I have peace, if I feel satisfied to have peace, it probably was inspiration. Um, that's, that's kind of, that's how I self-regulate. That's what I tell myself. And if I am anxious and itchy, then whatever I did back there did not fulfill a true, true need. And I'm still looking for something. I need to fill my time with something, right? It's like eating, you know, whether it's calories or good ones, right? If you have a good meal, it's a healthy meal. You're going to be satiated for a while. Now you're going to get back to it like the next day, but you'll be satiated. So, that signal of satiation is, is an important one for me. Like if I'm satiated, I'm really happy with what I did beforehand. I think it's important, but yeah, that's how I go about it. That's fantastic advice. Yeah. I need, I need all I can get on, <laughs> on how to, uh, how, how to be productive, but balanced. Um, well, yeah. this is, this is really fascinating work. Um, thanks for coming on uh, thank and, you. and sharing. Uh, Gary, Absolutely. Uh, uh, Steinberg, right? You got it. You got yeah. it. Perfect. Steinberg. Nice. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. One, and, one of the uh, few. Yeah. <laughs>
Yeah, hopefully we can uh, meet in person sometime. I will look forward to that day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, thank you, listeners, for being such wonderful, curious people, and we'll see you next episode. Star Avenue, a, podca- <clears throat> a podcast network.